It's a new episode of the Gills Talk podcast. Hi, everyone. I'm your host, Kristen Smith. I hope you are all doing well. We are so close to spring. Give it a few more weeks and we will be over that winter and cold slump. Well, maybe depending on where you are, it is a cold slump. But up here within the New England region and here in Massachusetts where we are based, it has been a pretty cold winter. But today we are going to be hearing from Gills Club scientist Maggie Winchester. She's a cardiac physiologist and as well as a co-professor for the biology of sharks and conservation course at Shoals Marine Lab, which we have a Gills Club scholarship application up and running for this course right now. This is going to be a full ride tuition, room and board, and the Shoals Lab fee for one student. With that then, if you do have interest, please head over to our website. I'll link it in the podcast description, or you can see it in any of our Gills Club social media handles as well. To learn more about this, in our interview with Maggie, we're going to listen to her research, learn more about what she does as a cardiac physiologist, but as well as her role in this Shoals Marine Lab course with Gills Club co-founder, Dr. Heather Marshall as well. So sit back, relax, enjoy the episode, and learn how shark hearts respond to stress. Enjoy. Welcome everyone to the Gills Talk podcast. Let's welcome Maggie Winchester, Gills Club scientist. I am so excited for you to be on today. Hi, Kristen. I'm so excited to be joining you today. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. Oh, you are very welcome. It looks like you are in much warmer climate than where we are here within the Northeast right now. You're in a short sleeve shirt and I'm bundled up over here, but I'm very excited to have you on through the Zoom screen today. So um, you are trained a cardiac physiologist, which is so fun and being able, I don't think anyone has have been anything close to that with sharks that we've had on the podcast. So really excited to learn more about how a cardiac physiologist is involved in shark science. So, yeah, so I have my, I did my master's degree at University of Massachusetts Dartmouth um, with Dr. Diego Bernal. Um, I worked with also uh, Dr. Heather Marshall as one of my committee members and as just, you know, uh, kind of a mentor um, throughout my master's degree. And my focus was cardiac science in, in sharks. Um, specifically looking at how shark hearts respond to stress. Um, so what my study was really looking at was, I'm, I've always been really interested in why sharks can, are susceptible to dying on the line. So we talk about post-release mortality, which is basically people will catch sharks either on purpose or on accident. They reel the shark in. Um, they realize that they either want to let it go because they're, you know, doing catch and release fishing or they didn't mean to catch in the first place so they reel in a shark and then they let it go but oftentimes those sharks even though they're let go and the fisherman thinks like okay I did my part sometimes those sharks will die afterwards and that's what we call post-release mortality and it happens to some sharks and it doesn't happen to others and so my work was really driven by the question of why do some sharks die after being caught and I ended up looking at this from a cardiovascular perspective. So it, does it have something to do with the heart? Are some shark hearts stronger than others? And so that was the focus of my thesis. 
That is super exciting. So then do you look at this through specific species? Because more species are obviously more prone to being caught on a line than others. Like, how do you even begin, I guess, like to assess like what shark species you look at for that? Yeah, so I actually started this work in Virginia at uh, the Virginia Institute of Marine Science on their Eastern Shore Lab facility. And we started by using species that were coastal, but actually represented a pretty wide range of elasmobranchs. So I worked with the clear nose skate, which is, you know, a little skate species that doesn't move around too much. They pretty much live on the bottom. They're not very active. That was one of my species. I also looked at smooth dogfish, which are a free swimming shark, but they can actually rest. So they can stop swimming if they need to. They're not always super active. Um, and they're typically found around uh, the bottom, but they can come up to the surface, but they're usually around the bottom. And then the third species was the sandbar shark, um, which is a much more active species. The species has to move in order to breathe. They can't, you know, stop swimming and rest. So they're considered relatively an active species compared to those other two. And we chose those species because they're abundant in that area at the time when I was studying, when I was sampling, but it was really nice, a nice picture because we got these three different kind of activity levels mm -hmm. to sample from. Um, and that comparison was really cool. So I kind of started there looking at, at different species. And then when I went back to Massachusetts to continue my master's, I looked at some of the super, super active species. So I looked at the thresher shark and the mako shark to kind of keep building that story and see if there was difference between the, the species and between the activity levels. So is there a difference between the activity levels depending on the species? So it was really interesting because we looked at a lot of different parameters of the heart function. So we looked at like how strong the heartbeats actually are, but a lot of other parameters as well, like the speed of like when the heart actually contracts, when the heart actually relaxes. And there was a lot of differences between the species, but it didn't seem like there was a huge correlation between activity levels. It seemed like species like the clear nose skate and the smooth dogfish might be slightly more tolerant to stress than these more active species. But it's also a really novel area of research. And so really, this is something that like, we kind of saw some clues that potentially some of the more active species might be more sensitive. But at the same time, you know, there's so many different species of shark, and they all are so different from one another. And even though, you know, we studied the sandbar shark, if we would have done a comparison between a sandbar shark, which is notoriously a little bit hardier, versus something like a dusky shark, which is notoriously very sensitive, we might have seen something totally different. So we were kind of building the, the foundation for the work. And basically what I'm saying is a lot more needs to be done because there's so many species of shark and they're all so different from one another. <laughs> so then how are you being able to measure this? You know, we can't capture a shark, put a stethoscope to its heart and like measure a heartbeat, right? So then how are you able to like, measure these types of parameters? Yeah, so I've worked with shark hearts in a couple of different ways. When I was looking at stress physiology specifically, so how stress affects the heart, I had to actually work with the heart. Um, and of course, that's unfortunate because we don't want to be taking too many animals out of the ocean and experimenting with them. 
Uh, and that's why, that was another reason why we chose the clear nose skate, the smooth dogfish and the sandbar shark. They're abundant species in that area. But at the same time, we wanna understand why these sharks are dying after capture. The first way that we studied shark hearts when looking at actual stress physiology was actually taking the heart out. So doing dissections of animals, um, taking the heart out and doing physiological experiments, which is was really, really cool. Um, so these experiments that I was doing, I was taking the heart out while the heart was still beating and putting it in a physiological solution that mimics the blood. So when you take the heart out of a shark and put it in a, this solution, it basically thinks it's still in the body. It has all of the ions, all everything that it needs to continue to beat. And so when you take the heart out and put it in the solution, you can then modify the solution to mimic what the blood is doing during stress and then see how, measure how the heart responds. So how we did this was we would take little strips of the heart tissue. So this still beating heart tissue, um, we would suspend it between electrodes and fire a little electric pulse at a specific rhythm so that we could control when the heart would beat. So we'd have these little strips of tissue, we would use an electric current to stimulate them in this solution. And then by modifying the solution, we could basically control the level of stress. So in order for all of this to make sense, you really have to understand that when anybody gets stressed, when we get stressed, when a shark gets stressed, our blood changes. Mm -hmm. um, there's a cascade of ions and chemicals that all change. And so by putting this solution, putting this heart in the solution and then changing the chemical solution, we can mimic the different levels that would be that a shark would be experiencing if it was kind of stressed out on the line, if it was really stressed out on the line, or even if it was, you know, at a level that sharks in the wild would usually die from. So we were able to really control for different things. We looked at different ratios of ions. We looked at if a lot of oxygen had uh, had an impact because sharks can get deprived of oxygen from mm -hmm. being caught on on fishing lines um, and we were able to look at a lot of different really cool parameters through this very old technique but very cool technique which is okay so you just said this is a very old technique like hearing you explain this this to me would have felt like something that's like brand new in technology you know but also I'm not in that world but this is just really cool to me I'm sorry I'm like very dumbfounded it's very rare for me to be spe speechless during an interview and I'm just like soaking this all in <laughs> oh gosh where do I even want to go with this Maggie um <laughs> I love it <laughs> it's really it's that's so, so cool. cool like I know what you did but I didn't realize it was to like this like level and in depth it's so interesting I was just gonna say it's it's interesting because it's a very cool technique. And I say it's very old because this has been around for a long time. And even though it's really cool, there's always, you know, the fact that doing something in the lab is not always going to be exactly what's happening in the wild. So there is, of course, that caveat, but it's still a super cool technique. Mm -hmm. So then I think one thing that I want to ask you about this is that, you know, when you are someone, if it's anybody going to school for marine science or marine biology, you know, like that is a technique and a type of way of learning in the lab that like, you're not 
brought up on, you know, that is not like a technique you're learning in your undergrad career. So then how, like, how did you have to prepare, you know, this type of solution, you know, to mimic different things? Like what is, I don't want to say like a training, but I guess so. Like that alert, I mean, it has to be a learning curve, I would assume, right? Oh, for sure. Um, And it was definitely a learning curve for me. It took a lot of immersion. Um, The first time that I, when I first started my master's program, I did three months in the field, just working on this project. Um, So it was very much trial by fire, but we also got a really great publication. We did so much work for that project and it turned out really great. I will say that if you have ever taken, or anyone who's listening, if you've ever taken a animal physiology course, sometimes there will be labs where you'll like stimulate frog legs to twitch. And it's actually very similar to that. Uh-huh. Um, it's applying an, an electric stimulus to a muscle. And when a muscle receives an electric stimulus, if it has all the ions and everything, it will fire. Okay. So some people may have actually encountered a version of this. This is just using specifically heart muscle. And then using a solution that is specific to elasma brain blood. Okay. 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 So it's making more, more sense. But then my next question I have, so I'm with this, how you said, you know, you are then dissecting that heart out of the shark as it is still pumping. So then you have to do this with a shark that is freshly deceased, right? You can't like call someone up saying, Hey, a shark's been washed up on, on the beach. Like, do you want this heart? Yeah. And that is the unfortunate part. Um, And that's why a lot of my work has really been done with captive species like smooth dogfish, um, clear nose skate, really species that are abundant. It makes it a little bit harder because, you know, we can't keep mako sharks in captivity. We can't keep these high, highly active species in captivity. And we wouldn't necessarily want to either. So it's, we do have another caveat of applying this uh, model from species that can be held in captivity and then applying it to species that, you know, can't be held in captivity. But I did have the opportunity to work with a couple species in the field and it's incredibly challenging. I mean, when you're doing that kind of work where you have to get tissue that is from a freshly deceased shark, it's a matter of taking tissue out and keeping it functional until you can get it to the lab which is not an easy task, especially in New England, when you have to travel, you know, 10 hours out to get to the spot where the sharks are. (laughs) Um, And so that kind of work, I, I always had very small sample sizes, and it's very opportunistic, but it's also work that hasn't been done for that reason. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, thank you for explaining that and going into just a little bit more. But then you also mentioned um, throughout your your, your master's degree, you also worked with Gills Club co-founder, Dr. Heather Marshall as well. And there are quite a few things that you do collaborate with her on. So I know one thing that is coming up, um, people might've heard us talk about it in previous episodes is our Gills Club scholarship through Shoals Marine Lab. And with that, then Maggie and Dr. Marshall is the leader of the Biology of Sharks course that that scholarship goes towards. So I would love to hear you talk about that course and your work in that. Yes. So everyone should apply because it's a super fun course. This is going to be our sixth year teaching it, which is crazy. It's a really special course. Honestly, I look forward to it every single year because it's an opportunity for students to spend two weeks with me and Dr. Marshall and learn about really so many different aspects of shark research. 
Um, it's very, there's a lot of classroom lectures because we cover, you know, everything from cardiac physiology to um, the senses to, you know, just so many different aspects of shark biology, conservation, fishery science, like we cover so much and there's so much to learn about sharks. People don't even know how much there is to learn about sharks until they take one of these courses. Um, so there's that aspect, but there's also a lot of hands-on learning. So we do laboratory activities, helping people learn how to tell different species apart. Um, so we do like identification, we do dissections, we do research projects. So in the past, we've had students have their own little sharks in captivity um, and do little, usually behavioral experiments, like observe how they react to, you know, putting a crab in a cage in the same tank, like how their behaviors change, sometimes how their blood physiology changes under different conditions. So they've got opportunities to work on really cool mini research projects. And then of course, the most exciting thing for a lot of them is the opportunity to go out into the field and spend pretty much a 12 hour day on a boat chumming for sharks and hopefully participate in you know the workup of of a shark which everyone always loves i mean who does it who does it oh, yeah. <laughs> no, working up a shark yeah those two weeks it is fully immersive and as you just said, you kind of hit the gamut of anything revolving around sharks. So if anyone wants to hear more about this, oh goodness, um, go back a few episodes more, more than a few to last summer. We have last year's um, Gills Club scholarship participant, Rachel, um, was on the podcast to talk about her experience. So if you want to hear firsthand from someone that has done the course, you should definitely listen to her episode as well. But I mean, what a fun just opportunity, you know, especially for people, you know, this does go toward college credit. And then especially if someone that is at, that is, is, is listening, that is through a university, maybe doesn't have the opportunity to do like these types of hands-on things, you know, it's a really great way to, I don't want to be punny, but get your feet and hands wet. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's not just for people who are really interested in research either. We really make it so dynamic and that's something that I know we're both really proud of um, even with our research projects you know it's not just like you have to work with sharks and collect data like we've had students in the past develop lesson plans and like have lesson plans that they can put on their CV and give them experience if they want to move into education in the future or we've had students that are really interested in grad school work on project proposals that they can then present to different professors that they might want to work with in the future. Um, we make it really dynamic. We try to tailor it to what the students are interested in. And we always have such a great time. And of course, Shoals, the island of Shoals is incredible, beautiful, just all around an awesome experience. Yes. Um, I, I want to go up there and like see the place. Like I haven't been to Shoals yet, but I just heard so many incredible things through our past scholars, through through Dr. Marshall as well, and now you, and I'm gonna have to make a trip up there. But um, going through education, you know, obviously working in what your master's work was, not really education-based at all. <laughs> so then what made you then want to um, help out in this course and kind of be involved in this education realm too? Oh, I am so glad you asked. When I was in my master's, I, 
I came to this realization, I really loved the work that I was doing. That work I found so fascinating. It was very interesting, but I found a lot of times it was hard to talk about it. It was hard to explain it to people. And I also found myself in rooms very often where I couldn't understand other people talking about their research. I would go to a seminar and I would feel like I was dumb or something because I just couldn't follow along. And it took me a while to realize that it was really about how people were communicating their science. And so I actually developed in my master's a passion for science communication and education because science is very, very important, but it's not going to have an impact unless people know about it and understand it. And so I've really focused since my master's, I've really focused more on science communication, education, and Shoals was one of those things that really helped me solidify that career path for myself. When Dr. Heather Marshall was first offered the class, we had worked together about a year before we had taught a class together. And she immediately thought of me as the TA, which I'm just so grateful for. Um, and that was during my master's. And so I was a TA for that class for two years. And it really showed me how wonderful teaching can be how immersive, how grateful students can be for that type of experience. Um, and then after that, I became a full-time faculty member or, or I became one of the instructors for that course specifically, um, an adjunct for Shoals Marine Lab. And I'm so grateful because that has been a constant that has just solidified that education is so much fun. I enjoy it so much, but really it allows me to talk about science and talk about it in a way that people can understand and also be compassionate and not be confused. I think it's really great that you used this. I don't want to say a struggle at all because you can call it a struggle. <laughs> That's okay. But, but you use this drive of being like, how, like, okay, I don't understand this. So then how can I relate it back to myself and how I can then relate my own science in a way that I don't have people feeling like that I was feeling. Yeah. I think that is, it's really, it's amazing. And I keep saying this almost every episode, this season of Gil's talk, almost every scientist that I have had on, we have had this like science communication, like section within the interview. And I think it's just becoming more and more apparent now. Um, we are in the middle of our, our application process for our internships here at the Atlantic White Shark Conservancy. And I'm seeing more and more youth answer like within the questions. And when I say youth, they're college students, students. I don't know why, but <laughs> I'm seeing them answer more of like, why is like, why did this internship interest you or X, Y, Z? And they say, like, I want to be involved in shark science or ocean co conservation. And I want to be able to be able to have those skills, like express what that is and express my science or express my, my, my research. And it's really cool to see like how much of like this, like constant trajectory, like upward it's become. Yeah, it's so important. I mean, we have to be able to understand and communicate what new studies are coming out. And, you know, the only way that we're going to be able to make a difference and conserve sharks is by effectively telling people what the problem is and telling people, you know, what we know and 
why what we know now is different from what we knew 50 years ago. And just being able to explain the scientific process is so important. And I've seen the same thing in our Shoals class where every year we have more students that, you know, want to design a lesson plan because they're really passionate about education. They really want to go into science communication. We even have implemented a science communication workshop into the course because it's just so important and it is always so helpful. Mm-hmm. It's one big storytelling really between just then how do you tell your story of your science to to the world, I guess. But exactly. um, I want to know, because like this path that you have is quite interesting, you know, looking at shark hearts and being able to have your love of education then come through as well. Was this always something that you wanted to do? Or did you know, like, I want to work with sharks or maybe the oceans and like, just kind of like ripple again, the puns today, rippling on from, from there. <laughs> like many other people who have been on this podcast, I will reiterate the the path to being a shark scientist is never linear. <laughs> Sometimes, you know, there's rare occasions, but my path was definitely not linear like so many others. Um, so my interest in sharks actually started um, in high school. So I grew up in Vermont, very landlocked. Marine biology was not an option, but I learned about a school in the Bahamas called the Island School. And um, while I was in high school, I was able to do a summer course there. And I took like a marine ecology class. I think that was, I think it was marine ecology and then scientific research, the two classes that I took. And the research track that I took was focused on shark research. And so we were learning about like different habitats that juvenile lemon sharks utilize around the island of Eleuthera where the school is. And it was just the coolest thing I'd ever done. And I found the marine ecology just so fascinating. I fell so in love with the ocean. Um, something that was always so it felt so distant to me and being able to actually experience it really changed things of course that was in high school I wasn't really sure how that would translate into a career Um, so I went to college for marine biology I went to the University of New England in Maine and I was able to do an internship with that same uh, place that I went to in high school It's called Cape Luther Institute, the research institute associated with the school. So I was able to do an internship there. And then when I graduated, they actually hired me. And so I lived in the Bahamas on Eleuthera for a year um, doing shark research. And that was just a fascinating opportunity to dive into research and just become fully immersed, learn everything of, of that research, that field research is. Um, And that's where I met Dr. Heather Marshall as well, who has just been an incredibly, an incredible resource mentor friend pretty much since that point. Um, And she was the one that kind of guided me into the master's degree at University of Massachusetts Dartmouth. And then from there, it's really been a track of teaching, working with nonprofits and finding my way of still incorporating my passion for shark conservation, shark research, but in more of educational capacities, which has been awesome. It's been a very fun path. It's good to reiterate that, you know, the plan is not linear. And I think it's amazing that, you know, being from Vermont, you are able to have this experience in high, in high school. And now like it's led you on to this 
really like incredible life so, so far and being able to learn so much about sharks and be able to share your love with sharks, with other pe people. We have two volunteers here at, at the conservancy that have done that program in, in the Bahamas. One of them actually just left <laughs> for it. Um, so I'm really excited when, when she comes back to hear all about it. Cause I know her older sister enjoyed it so, so much. <laughs> So I can't wait to hear that. Um, and that is still a very popular thing up here for the New Englanders to go down. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's a great way to, you know, get experience in the field and really, you know, learn what it's like and see what it means to be a field scientist. It's really great opportunity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's not what Shark Week always show, shows you. So <laughs> definitely. Yeah, yeah. It's good to it's good to really be immersed um, and really experience it for yourself. So it's any, you know, our Shoals class is a great opportunity for that as well. There's so many, your internship is a great opportunity for that. I always tell students, you know, it's okay to try different things. Um, it's okay to try different jobs. It's okay to try different internships. Um, when I was in college, the internship that I never talk about is when I worked at a salmon hatchery. <laughs> like it was a great experience. It just, I, I mean, I don't have anything like it, it doesn't really fit into the rest of my path, but it was a thing that I tried and it's good to try things um, to really figure out what you're passionate about. Yeah. I mean, you, you never know, maybe that internship with the salmon hatchery will help you at some point. You never know. Like me yeah. with sea turtles and looking at, at light pollution. <laughs> don't use that right right now, but it was still a great time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Learned how, how, how to take field notes during that. But, <laughs> um, but I know you already have like dropped nuggets of knowledge throughout the, the interview today, but I would love to wrap up with one more of what advice you would give to your younger self going through this. I think honestly, just knowing that the path isn't linear, knowing that you can try something and if it doesn't work out, that's okay. You can try something else. Even in the last, in the last four years in Florida, I've worked for a couple of different nonprofits and it's all just part of finding your way and that's okay. And that's what I love to tell students. That's what I would have told my younger self because younger Maggie, little Maggie thought like, okay, you just, you go through school, you do an internship, you go to grad school, and now you're just a shark scientist. And that's just what you do now. And that's just not how it is. No, <laughs> uh, Life takes all sorts of unexpected turns. And some of those turns end up way better than you could have ever possibly imagined. So try, try new things, say yes to new opportunities. Don't be afraid if your path isn't linear. Absolutely. So for people to follow you, follow your, your work, maybe to follow you along during the, the Shoals course and what you're doing and um, where can people keep up to date with you? Yeah. So I'm on Instagram, mainly uh, Maggie W 27. Um, I always post during the Shoals course. Of course you can follow Shoals Marine Lab as well. And you'll see all sorts of fun little nuggets from our course this year. Awesome. Well, everyone go follow Maggie on Instagram and to keep up to date with her work. Thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you for having me. It's been so much fun.